You are listening to Serva Soundbites, the official podcast of Serva, a leading global relocation management and moving services company. We aim to bring you authentic and insightful discussions on the latest trends and best practices in global talent mobility and the evolving future of work. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hi, welcome to the brand new Serva podcast series. I am John Johnson, VP in Account Management at Serva. Hi, and I'm Emma, Senior Manager, Global Advisory Services. We are very excited to be presenting to you the brand new Serva podcast series, where we aim to connect, inform, educate, and entertain our listeners. So, John, tell me, what do we have today? Well, you know what, Emma, through my conversations with clients, I think there is one theme that's been dominating consistently through this year, and and perhaps even a little further back, And that's macro trends and how they're influencing global mobility strategy today. And I think more importantly, even uh, into the future. I agree completely. It's a huge topic with clients and and I think very relevant that clients are connecting the dots between what's happening in the wider world and not treating mobility like a silo. The problem is that so many macro trends going on out there do impact mobility. So the challenge I imagine in this podcast will be trying to cover all of them in one session. So my thought is maybe instead let's try to broadly cover some of them and then maybe save a few for their own fully fleshed out podcast episodes all to themselves later on. So with that in mind, what should we cover today? Well, I mean, there's economic instability. And in that, I include you know, the, inflation, the inflationary pressures that I think we're all aware of. We have geopolitical uncertainty, which I think shows no sign of abating. Right. Uh, talent, skill needs, Emma, I think should be in there, along with mm-hmm. the, the issue around generational shifts in the workplace. I could throw in technology, digitization, and of course, ESG. And I think that's, I think, a few, but I think good ones for today. Yeah, I think probably even a little ambitious for today. I said, let's start at the beginning, see what we get through, and then then maybe we'll put some of those into their own episodes. Certainly all of them probably deserve it. Um, So let's start. You mentioned inflation, geopolitics. Let's start there. Yeah, I think think that's a good one. And I think if you look at the news, read the newspapers, there, there are plenty of stories out there about accelerating inflation, wages growth, you know, and I think cost of living, cost of living. And you know, some forecasters are already pointing through 2024 in terms of, you know, us staying in a high inflationary environment. And I think it's really interesting, Emma, to think about, OK, we have these you know, external pressures uh, from an economic lens. But what does that what, what does that mean for GM and what right. you know, what the GM functions you know, need to be need to be doing? Well, I mean, initially cost constraints, right? There's less money to go around. Things cost more. It's not like mobility teams budgets have increased dramatically Um even while all these other impacts are, are going on. So there's probably a similar amount of money and it spreads less far. It also means I think there's less secure knowledge in what things will cost, what we've seen with inflation and interest rates and cost of living in different locations, You know, being a global business like we are, that means it's hard to predict in cost estimates how much your shipment is going to cost because we know that these things have been highly changeable, variable. So it's harder to contain your costs to know really how much you're going to have to put aside and how much an assignment might cost you at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good one, Emma. I mean, the, one of the ones that comes to mind for me is kind of purchasing power or the erosion 
of purchasing power, you know, for assignees in terms of the, you know, the money that they're getting in their pocket. Mm-hmm. You also have high rental costs in certain markets where rents are considerably higher than they used to be. And I think the other one that I think is very relevant for our, our GM listeners is around exchange rates, you know, and oh, yeah. loss gain in terms of currency conversions. That's impacting how much money they're getting paid. Right, exactly. And I think it also affects where they're going. You know, we see large numbers um, post-COVID, I'm sort of blurring subjects, but that will happen with macro trends. I think they all are interconnected. Um, mm. We're seeing a lot of um, our, our clients, of course, move their people to Singapore um, when China was closed off and Hong Kong um, was, was closed off as well during COVID. So the costs in Singapore skyrocketed. And now we're seeing, you know, companies looking at neighboring countries and maybe commuter assignments into Singapore or similar you know where it's so expensive they're looking at alternatives yeah and i think all of it speaks to the that great topic emma flexibility right in terms of program design and how you might mitigate some of these uh let's call them risks yeah exactly i think the flexible programs have been really helpful with that type of thing knowing that that you have a certain amount of money to go around, especially where you have employee-driven flexible models. So where the employee is getting a budget um, in, in place or points and they can select the, the benefits that are most important to them. And it's a way for employees to feel empowered at the same time as the company not having to put necessarily any more budget towards it. Although it's not always a cost-saving measure, but it is one that I think has been interesting in reaction uh, to, to the inflation and um, price increases. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks, Emma. And the, I mean, the second one we spoke about was the geopolitical environment, you know, and and I think the Russia-Ukraine conflict continues, and we we saw huge implications for many of our corporate clients around that that conflict. So perhaps we'll talk a little bit about that 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 the, the lasting impact on GM. But the other one that I think Emma, that it might be worth you touching on, if you don't mind, is kind of the, if you like, a bit of a retraction in globalized business models. If you like, a bit of we're seeing a bit of protectionism creep into the political agenda. Perhaps you could talk a little bit about that too. We sure are. I mean, I think everyone's looking at the concept of globalization the way it was in the '90s and the 2000s, and there is definitely a retraction in that sense. There's a lot more nearshoring. There's a lot more sort of political posturing as to which countries you want to do business. With there are espionage laws in place in in countries like China, so you know risk of doing business with certain um, technologies in China might be less appealing for a U.S. based company. Um, certainly, doing business in Russia becomes um, more challenging with the war in Ukraine, and so I think there is an interesting dynamic happening where mobility is very much at the center of not only moving people out of of conflict areas, but nearshoring them, moving companies looking at where their entities are, where their global footprint is, and sort of reassessing that. So I think we see an interesting, you know, um, result for mobility there where companies that maybe had strong bastions in certain places in the world are now reconsidering how their model looks in a global sense. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I I spoke to one GM leader, Emma, recently, and they were telling me their role now feels like it's part crisis management and part kind of a uh, yeah, workforce management is taken on, if you like, many different dimensions to the work they were doing two, three years ago. Right. So what do you think that means in, in relation to mobility having a seat at the table, the long coveted seat at the table? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think we've spoken about the seat at the table in our industry for, I'm going to say decades. Forever. Forever. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, you know, in, in terms of wanting to be there. And I genuinely believe, you know, through some of the issues we've spoken about, particularly Russia, Ukraine, that mobility... Uh, had a 
an exposure within the business that perhaps it hasn't had before yeah. in terms of the, the the critical nature of the work that they were doing. And I can think of one Swiss organization that I'm familiar with where they actually put their crisis management function in the hands of the GM leader uh, mm-hmm. in terms of how they manage the both the pandemic and the war in Europe. They, they felt that that function were best placed to deal with the people issues, you know, permeating from, from those two, uh, yeah, factors. That makes sense. You think mobility is positioned in a way that we are aware not only of the logistics of moving people, but the immigration implications and the cost implications and the, you know, the adjustment implications. And I think it's quite a niche field when something like that happens, a big crisis that that is across geographical borders. Mobility mm. is placed to get that seat at the table. Question is, will we keep it? Have we kept it? Have some companies already, you know, had their seat at the table sort of reneged waiting for the next crisis? Yeah, that's right. Once you're there, you have to stay there. And and ever with these two crises, you know, the pandemic hopefully largely behind us, but with the conflict continuing, what are you seeing around sentiment or, or people's desire to want to go on an international assignment? Are, are we seeing a kind of softening in sentiment or, or, or not, would you say? I mean, I'd always say that that there is a, of course, I think with anything we say probably on this podcast, there's a huge variation globally. You know, there's some places that are always very desirable to go to and very, very desirable to live in. And it depends on your home circumstances. But broadly, I'd say we've seen a bit more reluctance to go on assignments, or at yeah. least the need for more security in going on assignment. You know, is there contingency planning in place? We've seen that well-being focus a lot more in, in mobility um, policies and structures to say, don't worry, we we have you covered if something happens or if there's a lockdown like there was in Shanghai or you get stuck in a certain location far away from your family. Is there something the company can do there? But I think that sentiment, you know, is very much people. I'm a perfect example of that. My family during um, the COVID border closures was a, across three different continents, my direct nuclear family. And, mm. and it felt suddenly, the world has felt so small for decades. You can just jump on a flight and get anywhere tomorrow. But suddenly the world felt really large again. I could not take a slow boat to get where I needed to go to. It just couldn't even happen. And I think people have, have that thought in the back of their minds, especially now with flexible working. Do I need to pick up and go halfway across the world? Of course, to some people, it will always still be very exciting and a great opportunity. But, you know, there is obviously more reluctance, I think, with some demographics as well. What have you seen? I agree with with everything you say there. And I think with that, we have new scrutiny from immigration authorities. We have, mm-hmm. if you like, immigration I'm going to use the word partnerships springing up where, you know, certain countries, I think, are more welcome than others in certain markets. Yeah. So I think I think when you put those two things together, I think it's created a very different or challenging environment. Right. I think that ties into the nearshoring discussion we had a little bit earlier, that, that there are countries that are opening their arms to different nationalities visa-wise and, and others that are making it harder for people to come in if they're from a background that maybe there might be a little bit of political tension with. So immigration issues have become more complex. And of course, we're sitting in the seat of expertise there for that for our clients as well. But it is, I think, more nuanced than ever, ever. And I really think, you know, even back with the inflation content we discussed, that if you're going to send someone an assignment who might be ambivalent and it's going to cost you more money than it ever maybe has, 
you really need to pick the right person. You need to send the right person and you need to retain that talent. So I think there's much more of a focus on that than there ever has been as a result of inflation and geopolitics. Yeah, I think I think there's a, probably a whole podcast there talking about profiling <laughs> and assigning selection in terms of, you know, who gets to go right. on these assignments. So maybe that's a, a deeper conversation for another day. But I, I think a nice segue, Emma, into the conversation around talent and skill needs. I, yeah. I know that you've been researching some interesting metrics around talent shortage in the market today yeah I mean, just a statistic to throw out at you um, from manpower i think it was it says 69 percent of employers globally report difficulty in filling roles that is i'm sure what you've seen what you've heard in the media from our clients there was a challenge in getting the talent into the right spots and i think if you look at different countries there's plenty of talent out there but are they the right talent a lot of the time mm. we're looking at specialist talent And so I think that gives the employee a lot more bargaining power than they had before, especially with that ambivalence about wanting to take roles. And it also puts the onus on companies to look at upskilling their their existing talent if that talent isn't available elsewhere. But mobility, I think, plays a key role there. What are you seeing? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, the key role statement is really interesting. If I think of a couple of European headquartered organizations that, that I know it, it feels as if the, the local market or the headquarter market from a talent perspective has come a bit saturated and they are finding it difficult, as you say, to find the talent that they need. So I think, I think there is a tendency now to look offshore and to the degree that that's owned by mobility at the moment, I think is interesting. In some cases it is, in, in some cases it isn't. Uh, talent acquisition clearly play a much broader role in those you know, offshore talent discussions. And I think the interesting thing that I've noticed there is, you know, talent acquisition playing this key role now in bringing talent into the headquarter market, how equipped they are to have some of those conversations and what are they selling in terms of the experience for these people coming into these markets, you know, and does that align with the reality? So I've noticed mobility being kind of pulled into these talent acquisition discussions at a far greater rate than than we saw in the past. So more retaining that seat at the table, really. And I think importantly, yeah. if you're looking at pulling in your talent internationally, like you said, having the experts there on what that experience means and what it can and should deliver, you know, the return on investment um, quandary that we're always trying to put a, a pin in. But I also think just with with that demand uh, among employees to have certain things in, in place because there is a talent shortage out there and those employees can demand so much more. I think we're also seeing some interesting demand for flexibility, uh, you know, especially in the, the age of remote and hybrid working. Have you seen much of that? Yeah. And it's, it's something I don't think we've spoken a lot about as an industry. I mean, one of the things that I think we observed during the pandemic primarily was a scenario where we did have assignees moving into locations where the office was shut uh, mm-hmm. and there was a high hybrid or flex or even remote working strategy in place. And I think the interesting impact for us was that as an RMC, we were stepping a little bit into the world of host country onboarding for these individuals because they weren't having that cultural assimilation that you normally get you know, when you're in the office with your new colleagues, learning the ways of working, learning the culture. So it felt as if we were having to kind of bridge a little bit of that gap. Right. So if you're not getting that chance to integrate, then you know, are you missing out on some of those benefits? Are you getting the same experience and, and the benefits of understanding a different market? So I think there has also been an interesting focus in, we've seen it in our intercultural programs, you know, that are, that are customized. And so I think where people are moving to a location and, and working remotely from that location most of the time, there's a question, do I, should I even be going? And if I am, then 
how am I using this experience to integrate better, to understand the market better, even if I'm doing it virtually? And I will just flag that, of course, there are massive cultural differences working virtually, which I do think is still remiss in in some um, training areas as well, which I think will be beneficial now that we're all working remotely so much of the time. Yeah. And we spoke a little bit about, about remote work there, Emma, and, and I think, you know, commuter assignments falls into that conversation. I think, you know, if I think about everything that you've been talking about, it, it does feel a little as if there is still kind of a paradox inherent in this conversation around cost containment versus talent acquisition and retainment, if you like. Yeah. And, you know, and if you like, how you manage that paradox. Right. Agreed. I mean, I've seen more interest in commuter assignments recently than I have in ages. And that's people, once again, you know, having to accommodate maybe reluctant employees, it's them looking at alternative arrangements, maybe for expensive locations. But even as we are looking at cost-saving methods, I mean, they, they often think a commuter assignment will be a cost-saving method. It, yeah. it isn't always. It often isn't, in fact, but, but that depends on the way it's structured. But the fact that there's curiosity there is, I think, also part and parcel of that reluctance to move and that cost reduction imperative. But the cost reduction imperative paradox, like you mentioned, is that, you know, if you need mobility to be moving these people to develop this talent to keep your business model running, then reducing costs in helping them to adjust and be successful and be retained after an assignment is is more important than ever. But if you're trimming costs, you're you're impacting that experience possibly. So it, I think it's a tough one that many of our clients are finding themselves in that position. Are you seeing that uh, across clients as well? I think largely, and I think the segmentation question has kind of reemerged uh, right. as as a tool to understand the talent that you're moving and how you want to attract and retain the talent that you are moving. And and, and I think thinking of mobility in a more targeted way, exactly as you described, so that you are focusing on the the key talent questions for your organization, knowing that you know the costs are high. Yeah. And I think when you talk about segmentation there, that is a part of what a lot of flexible programs are doing also. You know, a lot of our clients are, are looking into or already delivering flexible programs, and that can be segmentation. It can be core flex. It can be a range of other, you know, lump sums, which I'm not going to get into or encourage dramatically at this point. But I think all these flexible approaches to target and segment different needs actually ties in beautifully with, I think, one of the other macro trends you mentioned earlier, which was generational shifts. We're looking at five generations in the workforce. They have different needs. How does mobility need to adjust and be flexible to suit all these different needs? So what are you seeing, hearing around that? Yeah, I mean, I I read a statistic, Cameron, it may be one that you shared with me, that we're seeing 10,000 boomers retiring every day in the US, which is a quite a frightening number if that is, you know, if that's true. And if you think of that talent walking out of kind of corporate America on a daily basis, it's scary. And so, I mean, I think, you know, retaining some of that talent, I think is, is going to be key. But that's obviously just thinking about the, you know, kind of the boomer generation, you know, I know that you've been doing some interesting work around Gen Z millennial needs in terms of, you know, how would you you know target their needs from a mobility standpoint? Right. And we're not going to assume for a second that everyone in Gen Z or every boomer has no. exactly the same needs, right? Yeah. But, but that's the point of these flexible programs. But there are, you know, socio political, economic, cultural things that have influenced maybe needs, interests, technological um, involvement, so on and so yeah. forth. And I think you're absolutely right that this it's a staggering thought that 10,000 a day just in the US and a lot of other developed or maturing countries around the world, I'm sure those numbers are comparable. Although I did read, interestingly, around the UK that I think it was like around 20, 23% in the UK of, of boomers would like to remain in full paid work, at least in into part-time roles into retirement age, which I think flags also the need for flexibility. If 
maybe mobility plays a part in that. Is somebody who's ready to retire want to move to a place where they would like to retire to and be able to work flexibly or be a commuter, you know, or find some alternative arrangement maybe to keep that talent in the workforce, especially if those pipelines haven't been built up behind them to replace that experience and that talent. But the younger generational needs, we're talking about a mix, you know, a real hodgepodge in the workplace. Gen Z, millennials, Gen X, and those retiring boomers who may stay on into retirement potentially because of cost of living and other influences that mean they might want to keep working or just for stimulation, you know, especially if you can find some balance. So I think we are definitely seeing the rise of continued glory of flexible programs things where you can personalize more to to suit your particular needs. And for younger generations, usually more digital, more self-serve, and maybe for older generations, a little bit more of the white glove service or a little bit more guidance, human guidance, if that's what's needed. But at any stage along the way, I think the human element is important. We can't get lost in chat GPT responses. I think it's a scary thing picking up in moving countries. And I think having a person there can be even just psychologically a comfort. Yeah. We've both done it, Emma, and we know that we know that to be true. I just want to take you back to a point you made, Emma, uh, where you were talking about the pipeline in terms of the next generation of talent, if you like. Mm. I think it's it's interesting to see the extent to which organisations use mobility as a development tool, if you like, to start to replenish that retiring leadership cadre. You know, because I I think over the last few years, perhaps we have seen not the, the numbers diminishing, but overall volumes down. So I do I do wonder if we'll see a resurgence of kind of developmental type assignments from a leadership development standpoint. Well, I, mean, I think we covered this a little bit earlier, just in the idea that they're costing more. It's it's harder to send more people overseas because the assignments are not as affordable as they might once have been. But it, that means that you need to pick the right person. Like we said, you want to develop somebody. You want to use that opportunity to move someone. Either they have to have, you know, unique skills that are really in desire, in demand in that location, or you should be using that opportunity to develop talent. Even if they're otherwise moving for another role, I'd say use it, maximize that, give them the training they need to become savvy in that region or in that location or that geography. I think it's so important that you maximize the return on investment that you're getting from any assignment because it is costing so much more and you do want to send the right people to develop them. Do you know any companies that are looking at, at that type of approach, particularly a developmental sort of assignment approach? I think it goes back to the segmentation question. I can think of many organizations that are starting to look at their program more broadly in to answer that question in terms of why are we moving people? What are the types of people that we're moving? Yeah. You know, yeah. uh, What jobs are they doing? Is there a developmental element to this or is it purely that they're moving to fulfill strategic uh, you know, needs within the business in that market? So look, it's really interesting. I just feel that it's, it seems to be back on the agenda. Mm. And we're back at the table, hopefully if cont- if on an ongoing basis, we would hope. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did want to flag one other thing. I think, you know, we talked about just the different generational needs and one for particularly with Gen Z, we're, we're see- seeing and hearing that there's a strong desire for companies to stand for something, to be ethical, mm. to care about things like environmental social governance. And so I think that probably deserves a full podcast of its own. So I think we'll try and do one of those later. But in the meantime, I think there is a result that we're seeing on that in mobility. Um, yeah. So what I have you seen? I'm not, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think the the purpose-driven economy, as I think I've heard it labeled by some, nice. it is going to be really important to future generations. And I think it is a question of ethics and fascinating to see how that plays through into our industry and beyond. 
right? Because you can't live in that silo. You know, the fact is every organization who's a client of ours probably has ESG on their uh, objectives. It's a part of their strategy, which means that we as their supplier need to have that too. We have our own ESG strategy and initiatives, but we need our suppliers to have that too. It affects the whole downstream approach. You know, we all need to be working on this together in order to be making a difference in order for each of us to reach our ESG goals. So I think it can't, you know, those who are saying, oh, but we're just mobility. This isn't something we need to think about are missing a trick there because I think it is really important. 100%. So I know we could talk about this forever, probably, and other trends, but we may be running out of time a little bit today. So I think perhaps let's us look into a few of the other macro trends like ESG, as I said, I I would like to expand into that particularly, and of course, technology and some of those other areas that we've mentioned with their own specific podcasts. But I think we talked about maybe ending our podcasts with a top tip. So John, I'm going to pass the mic over to you. What is your top tip based on this macro trends topic? And I think for podcast one, we'll finish with a, a bit of a cliche, but one size really doesn't fit all anymore. And personally, I'm not sure it ever did. So top tip, I think, is to make your mobility program adaptable, not set in stone forever. Uh, Agility is important. And I think resilience in the face of everything we've spoken about during this podcast, Emma, is going to be critical. I couldn't agree more. Perfect top tip. Thank you, John. So that brings us to the end of our podcast today. Thank you for listening to Service Soundbites. If you enjoy our show, please click subscribe and share and be sure to come back next time. Until then, this is Emma. And this is John. And don't forget, Serva provides everything needed to move talent and deliver experience. See you next time.